All right, welcome to another edition of the OUinsider.com podcast where we had a news conference where Lincoln Riley introduced both Jamar Kane and DeMarco Murray. And my man, Colin Kennedy, who's on the line, was there for it all. Colin, how you doing? Uh, doing well. I'm ready to talk some ball, man. Let's get into it. Right on, brother. So, like, we could talk about the emoji bombshell, but what was your biggest takeaway from the presser? I thought what was really interesting to me was the conversation between the media and Jamar Kane when asked what was the process like going to Oklahoma from Arizona State, even though you hadn't spent much time there, and yet you had a pretty strong connection to the program. He essentially said, look, it was really difficult trying to speak with Herm Edwards about leaving. He didn't want to do it. He kept putting it off, and then his wife just forced him to go towards him. Then eventually just Herm took him took him in, said, "Hey, man, I'm really happy for you and the family. Congratulations." They spoke on it, and then the quote of the day was probably, "You can't tell Oklahoma no." So I thought, well, Demarco Murray and the the eyeball emoji hilarity was certainly something a lot of people talked about. I thought that was really interesting because Jamar Kane is now leaving a program and leaving a head coach, and he has such a, a comfortable amount of familiarity. And so with him taking this position with Oklahoma. I'm really excited to see it, and I thought that was probably one of the more standout moments to me from the the presser. That was a good moment, and it was nice to see some personality from both he and Marco Murray. And I got to tell you, I thought the personalities would be reversed. I thought Jamar Cain would be the much more diplomatic, humble, I'm-here-to-work kind of guy. Demarco Murray was obviously that guy. And at least in the pieces that I could put together from the scrum, Jamar Cain was like, no, no, I'm here to win. I'm here to work. I wanted to coach with Alex, but I am not going to kowtow to anybody because I think the question was put to him, how do you feel about recruiting with the big boys now? And he's like, I've been recruiting against them for my entire career. So not that you're trying to, to you know, pull my card or anything, but <laughs> no, nah, I'm, I'm good, and I know that I'm good, and we're going to be better. And I thought that that was really yeah. cool and to see their personalities come out. Yeah, that, that Jamar Kane situation from the, the the scrums, it was really interesting because he just came out and started firing off like he was getting ready to play a game. I mean, he was incredibly emotional, and I love to see that. I mean, that's what this staff is trying to assemble, a group of young, emotional, passionate coaches with a true knack for the game. And one of those, one of those stories he told, you mentioned recruiting at the big boys, I thought it was fascinating. He said, I came from the mud in terms of recruiting. Like, you're not going to scare me if you're in Alabama or, or a Michigan or Ohio State. He, he said, told a story where he was at North Dakota State and he'd try and convince kids from Texas or Florida to come to Fargo, and they'd tell him, dude, I'm not playing at a place where it's negative 42 with wind chill, but he'd still drive seven hours in the car, go talk with the recruit for 20 minutes and drive seven hours back. Think about the asset that Jamar Kane is now for Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch, and the rest of that program, you're getting a guy that is just so, so determined to accomplish what he believes several doubt that he can do. I think you bring up a great point. His his true passion for recruiting and the emotional aura about him, I think it's just an incredibly advantageous situation as Kane enters a defense that's heading to the next chapter in this newfound, revamped system. You're 100% correct. I mean, that's one of the points that I've been making about the staff. The ages uh, go from 31 to 47. That is a bunch of young men in this game. Somehow, Kale Gundy still wants to go and recruit in the way that he does. But it takes 
strong knees, strong back. It's long hours. It's also just, hey, did you show up to recruit that kid or not? You know, and we look back and we ask ourselves, did Jay Bulware do enough toward the end? And is that how you lose Jace McClellan to Alabama? And perhaps when you look at this particular staff, that ain't going to happen because they're going to find time to go and see these guys. And I thought you brought up a really good point about Jamar Kane trying to convince these blue chip recruits to come to play FCS football in Fargo, North Dakota in negative 42 degree weather where he had one of the best defenders in that entire division play for him. I mean, he also has produced talent everywhere he's been. But I liken this to Bill Biedenboe when he first got the job at Oklahoma because he was at West Virginia at the time. And one of the things that he said was, Deontay Savage wouldn't take my phone calls at West Virginia. Now I got him. Now, now, now I'm going to get kids to take my phone calls. They wouldn't normally take my phone calls. And we've seen what kind of recruiter Biedenboe has been, just year in and year out, just filling the boat yeah. with kids that everybody wants. And that's what it's going to take. Oh, you're exactly right. I mean, Jamar Kane is going to provide such an additional edge. And now, as you're mentioning, he has the name brand associated. He can put on that crimson interlocked OU and walk into the home of any prospect in the nation and say, look, man, this is the University of Oklahoma. And when you start talking with me, you're going to only build a stronger connection to what I'm selling. So I'm excited. Before we I will keep getting into the the overall view of the staff. I was wanting to shift over to you, RJ, on DeMarco Murray. Was there anything that stood out to you about what he had to say or what he provided during that presser? He was honest. You know, yeah. he had an opportunity there to really play to the crowd and to really make it a storybook kind of how he got back to Oklahoma. But he was very honest about I knew I wanted to coach. I knew I had a passion to do this. I didn't know the timeline. I'm still a puppy in this profession. There are things that I thought I knew that I didn't. There are things I'm still learning. And the way that that really illustrated for me was when he was asked, you know, when Sumlin reached out to you about taking the job at Arizona, who did you call? I called Jason Witten, which is not what we expected him to say. And then he said, I called Bob Stoops, which is also not what we expected him to say. And then he said about third or fourth phone call was, Coach Gundy, Kale, guy he played for, guy that helped recruit him there along with Sumlin when he was, you know, lighting the world up at Oklahoma. That is refreshing to see from a guy who, as I've said and I will continue to say, if anybody did not have to put together a resume to play, be the next running backs coach at Oklahoma, it's probably DeMarco Murray. And yet and still, <laughs> the position being open, one, incites him to send those eye emojis. But more than that, he was humble about the opportunity. He understood what it meant to be at Oklahoma as a coach and not as a player. And he kept reemphasizing and reinforcing what I did as a player, both at Oklahoma and in the NFL, is not a reason to come to OU. That is not a recruiting tool. And that is exactly what I wanted to hear and what many of us who are going to judge DeMarco Murray on the merits of being a coach wanted to hear. Because until then, I was iffy on this hire because a star player – Teaching guys that don't necessarily have his talent has never actually been always a good thing. It's either superstar, right, and you have somebody that can speak their language but also can teach the fundamentals and there's nothing that person can't do, or you have a Bill Russell situation when he was coaching the Celtics about just do it like me. It's like, hey, man, you're Bill Russell. I can't I can't do that stuff. Teach me how to do this from a technical aspect and teach me how to be a better basketball player knowing I'm never going to be Bill Russell because who the hell is? And I think Murray— in his first opportunity, 
displayed that he's going to be that guy. He's going to try to teach them the fundamentals and make them the best versions of themselves. And yeah, it's going to help tremendously that he has his track record. It's also going to help tremendously that he's a he's a handsome man. I, I, I had this joke, Colin. I don't know if I told you this, but there are two men in college football for which polos were meant to be worn. One of them is Scott Frost. The other one is DeMarco Murray. Because my man looked real good up there. And, you know, Lincoln made that point. He's like, now there's no question about who the best athlete on our staff is. So those were the things that stuck out to me about his press conference. Really good stuff. Yeah, and I think, first of all, I immediately hit the gym after going to that presser, I should know. <laughs> I had to pump a little bit after that one. But I, I wanted to further something, too, that you said. I thought it was a good point. DeMarco Murray says, look, what I accomplished in the NFL or in the Crimson and Cream is not an easy recruiting tactic, let alone the reason why I got this job. And it further encourages me that he's walking into this position without that being his basis of knowledge or reasoning why. Because then you look at the head coach and he was asked, look, when you went into the interview with DeMarco Murray, I mean, how much did you factor in what he could bring to the program in terms of familiarity or past experience in college or in the NFL? And he said, not one bit. He, Lincoln Riley was honest. He said, look, when DeMarco came here, I didn't really know him that much. And so I went into the interview saying, okay, I'm going to evaluate this guy just point blank. I don't know him. He's a first-year coach. He has to prove to me that he will earn this spot. And apparently, Lincoln Riley said it, in the first 10 minutes or so, he felt that both DeMarco Murray and Jamar Cain were the guys for their respective positions. That, to me, should really stand out because, I mean, we can't touch on it enough. DeMarco's only been in the college coaching world, let alone the entire coaching realm, for a season mm -hmm. at Arizona. And Arizona ain't exactly a ball-out program. So I love the fact that DeMarco was able to go into this interview and prove to one of the best offensive minds in all of football, period, that he deserved to, as he put it, come home. Even though he's from Las Vegas, it's very clear to me that despite being such a connected member of the Oklahoma program, and then being such an impactful presence at a franchise that has plenty of pull in this area, being the Dallas Cowboys, he still earned this right because of who he is as an individual, not because of who he was in his prior past. So I'm very encouraged by the hire. I think it was the right move, and I really like what all three had to say come that presser. And I can't wait to see the impact that they have on this program. You touched on how Riley decided that Jamar Kane and DeMarco Murray were the right guys to fill the voids for the, the staff, right? I thought we got some insight into how Riley goes about his process, and it's not unlike how he's a play caller, which is to say instinct. And I err on the side of analytics more often than not because math is undefeated. But there is something to be said about I know what I know. I know that this is going to work. I know that this is not going to work. And him telling every, telling us all, look, I got a pretty quick trigger about this stuff. I, I know what I'm looking for. I narrow the field really quick. And when I know, I know. And let's go with that. And he had some simple criteria, quite honestly. And he a lot of the work is already done. What's his track record? You know, what he says about quarterbacks and recruiting them is, did they win? Because that's the only thing that, that really matters. I can All that other stuff, it, yeah, it, it factors in. But was he a winner? Because if he, if he lost a bunch of games, probably can't play here. 
He looked at Jamar Kane and said, everywhere that guy has gone, he's produced talent and, and they've won. They've been a great defense. DeMarco, mm-hmm. he's taken more of a chance on what he's done in the interview process and what Sumlin had to say about him, quite frankly, because I'm sure Riley could call up Kevin and have a frank conversation about his guy. And Sumlin was already out in front of everybody saying, no, I don't expect DeMarco to even be at Oklahoma for very long because he's just that talented. And knowing what he was able to do as a coordinator at Oklahoma, what he was able to do as a head coach at A&M, and what he's trying to build at Arizona, I'm going to take that into account. But Riley, at 36 years old, being decisive, knowing what he's looking for, taking into account his chemistry with the staff, and then what I love the most, does he have something to prove? Does he have something he's chasing? And Riley pointed it out. I still think I have something to prove like the day I got into coaching. And there's maybe six, seven coaches that are in in uh, college football today who shouldn't have a damn thing to prove left. He's one of them. But he wakes up yeah. every morning chasing something. Right now, we'll call it a national title. But once he gets there, he'll celebrate for a second. It'll be brought up as a way for him to shut down any other conversation whenever he needs to. He just flexes that ring. But he's going to start chasing something else because that's how he's built. And he needs all 10 of his assistants to be built much Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey the same way I wanted to to pivot to a to a different topic which is the signees that he talked about now I've had my piece about Chandler Morris and him saying he's his favorite when we all know that ain't true Bryce Young was his favorite and that's the guy that he wanted he didn't get him so he's his favorite that was left but he had some really interesting things to say about Josh Eaton and Reggie Grimes what'd you take away from those well I think they were expected comments right he was excited about Grimes and Eaton's both prospects that he wanted pretty badly. I thought he was very vocal about the fact that he felt like Grimes was someone, number one, playing running back in high school at 6'4", 240 was what he said. is something he loved. And then going off of it, Joshua Eaton, one of the better athletes and providers of length in the nation that they targeted. So I think it was just what we expected to see. I thought the Morris comments, just like you, were a little bit fraudulated, if you will, if that's even a word, but we know what he's about, right? I mean, they couldn't land Bryce Young. It just happened to where Chandler Morris could have fallen right into their lap and they took advantage of it. I don't blame him. He's certainly someone that, hey, you take that kid in and maybe down the road he's providing you meaningful minutes out there in the field. So, I, I think that it was what I expected to hear from him. And three very good pickups. I mean, Hey, I, I, I like all three of those guys coming in. You can make the argument they're probably three of the, the more premier signees of the class as well. So, yeah, very encouraging to hear him take plenty of time to comment on those three newcomers for the program. We mentioned how Chandler Morris kind of fell into his lap late because it was, it, frankly, Chad Morris doesn't lose his job at Arkansas. Chandler Morris is going to Arkansas. But what did he say? He mm-hmm. said, it was Chandler Morris or we weren't going to take a quarterback. I thought that was interesting because I believe you take a quarterback in every single class. Every single year, you take a quarterback. Sometimes you take two if they're available to you, like Texas, Quentin Jackson and Hudson Card. 
right? Uh, Cam Rising and Casey Thompson. Because the odds are you can only play one, but you want to have some competition there. And if you don't have any competition there, you have a problem. Now, it's not about whether or not Lincoln Riley would be able to get another quarterback in 2021 or even going to junior college or going to the portal, as everybody keeps saying. I thought it spoke highly of Chandler for him to just say, hey, I wanted him. And if we didn't get him, I just wasn't going to toy with anything else because that was the guy I was in with. And Morris actually uh, told Brandon Drum this, I want to say last month, it was, no, Coach Riley kept it 100% with me. It was either me or, or nobody. And he kept talking to me even as I was committed to Arkansas. Uh, obviously, the conversation got a little bit more um, interesting when his father lost his job at Arkansas. But he was very much committed to the idea of, no, Chandler, I've settled on you. And if you decide to go to Auburn or Arkansas or Boise State or Vatek, all places that were viable options for him, he would have lived with that, and he would have just gone about recruiting 2021. I thought that that was important to talk about. And I, you mentioned Josh Eaton, who could end up being a sneaky good signing, right, uh, with his length. Yeah. But I also wonder how much you know, guys like Bryson Washington are going to be ahead of him. You know, Kendall Dennis is also going to be with Joshua Eaton coming in in the summer. And how does that figure into the depth chart? Because what we know about Oklahoma is – They're going to be solid up front. We like what they return. Marcus Hicks, Marcus Stripling, you get the two junior college guys in as early enrollees. But keeping the top on the defense, particularly at the safety positions, is going to be the concern. So that was the way in which I thought perhaps Josh Eaton is much more important than we even know right now. I think that he is certainly an important player in terms of the coming in class if you want to put it that way I mean heck every single one of these defensive backs is important if you really want to go that far but I think Eaton is is up there because of what we're discussing he's just the perfect fit for what Alex Grinch Roy Manning and the rest of that Sooners defensive staff is looking for I mean what six foot two and close to what 180 190 pounds you're not going to find very many cornerbacks that are built like him. I will say this. I think he's a little raw. I think that the athletic ability is there, but still a lot of development to take place. And then that's where what you're bringing up factors in. If he's not coming into the summer, how does that impact the trajectory of his future? He certainly impacts this season, but will he be fully prepared to play meaningful time on the biggest of stages? I think, the guy that we both know I'm pretty high on in Bryson Washington, what may be the more suitable option in that situation. But no, Joshua Eaton is obviously one of the more pivotal prospects in this class. And that's why they went after him so heavily, even after there was the idea of, Oh, well, he's basically a Texas lock or what have you in terms of the recruiting storyline surrounding Eaton. But no, he's a great pickup for them in terms of down the road, what he can become. But then also kind of like what you're mentioning, I'm just very curious to see, how much immediate impact he can provide knowing what he currently brings to the table. It also brings into question for me what we expect Reggie Grimes to be in 2020 as Oklahoma returns two guys that played significant snaps at his position in Nick Benito and David Uguebu. Joseph Wete also got the redshirt year in there. I wonder how he figures into what they're thinking at outside linebacker, that defensive end position. And really – what Jamar Kane is going to think of him when he gets here. I think that's also very important, and I would love to see what his assessment is of the guys that are already on that roster. If you were p- putting together the, the two deep right now, would you put Reggie Grimes 
in that too deep in August? I wouldn't. And if I remember correctly, I mean, John Michael Terry set to right, return next right. season, With isn't the, he? Yes. So, ACL injury. Yes. And, and John Michael Terry, RJ, was such a good player for them before he got hurt. I mean, we don't actually give that guy enough credit. Last podcast, it was me commenting on the ability of Gabe Burkett. I'm going to go ahead and give John Michael Terry his fair shake because that dude was so good at setting the edge and getting his job done. But then when he went down, you saw the adjustment period that took place mm. when they lost him. I mean, eventually it panned out because Benito and Uwebu are just rising stars. But mm. even if you factor out John Michael Terry and say, yeah, he moves inside linebacker, he's still banged up. I'm still looking at Benito and Uwebu, especially because of what they became as the season went on. So, no, I wouldn't factor in. And also because of the fact that kind of going off of Eaton, I think the Grimes is really raw. When I saw him at the opening finals in Frisco, I just saw a pass rusher that, yeah, he's athletic, he's aggressive, but the technicalities and the fundamentals could still be harped on. So knowing that, taking everything into consideration, I don't see him as a two-deep member heading into August. I don't know how you feel about the situation. I don't, but I also don't see, other than Bryson Washington, perhaps Shane Witter, and depending on how things break, Brendan Walker being those guys that will be able to contribute right away. I know that we're all very high on Justin Harrington, but he ain't here, right? And I think that getting those 15 practices, in addition to winter training, in addition to summer training, going into the real summer where you have your involuntary, voluntary workouts, is going to be tremendously helpful to those guys. And because you lost so much uh, at linebacker, whether or not you want to put Ryan Jones at will or you want to put him at outside linebacker, you talk about Levi Draper, Kenneth Murray Jr. Deshaun White's going to need a running mate, and last time that Caleb Kelly was slotted in as the running mate for the middle linebacker, he got beat out by Curtis Bolton, and OU was better for it, so I'm not really ready to say that that's his job either. I'm really excited to see what Witter turns into, what Walker turns into, because where they put Walker is going to tell me a lot about Witter in that that dude's legitimately got 4.46 speed. He played on both sides of the ball. Wildcat quarterback, as well as a pass rusher, as well as a slot receiver. You know, I didn't see Brendan do those things, though. Brendan has the size already and the awareness to play at any position you want him to play. And I think both of those guys might end up sliding it inside, but it also means that you really trust Caleb Kelly there. And I think we're going to learn a lot about both of those guys come the spring game, and we're going to take our, you know, P's and Q's from from that just as we do. We're going to overestimate the spring game. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. That's what we do. I all wanted. I wanted to pivot to Lincoln Riley's comments on the transfer portal entrance and yeah. what he thought of recruiting rankings in particular. Because I was like, oh, okay, so we're taking shots at networks now. Got it. Um, <laughs> so let's start with the portal. Him saying that they expected many of these entrants, but then him following up with, yeah, we got younger, more talented players. They're just in room. And I'm going, yo, all right, man, like. Tell me how you really feel, Lincoln. At least that's yeah, what I think. Be careful, big Maybe that's dog. Not what you took. No, no, I agree. I, I thought 
he was a little lax, mm-hmm. maybe more relaxed about that situation than I anticipated because when the question was first posed, I thought he's going to provide the politically correct answer as we know and love Lincoln Riley to do. Instead, he was like, you know what, man? We're getting better dudes. Like, these guys don't fit the system. So we didn't blame them for going elsewhere because they just didn't fit here. And I'm sitting in the back row running my camera like, oh, my Lord, are we listening to this guy right now? He's taking shots. But at the same time, I mean, he's not wrong, right? I mean, there are guys that just didn't fit with the the trajectory of Alex Grinch's defense. So, I mean, you look at it, they had a ton of guys hit the portal. I mean, a massive amount. And I think you and I both expected it. Brandon expected it. Joey expected it. Everyone in the OU media realm expected defenders to be transferring out of this program once the offseason hit. But, no, I was I was shocked, to put it lightly, the way that he handled that question. But, again, he isn't exactly off base with his claims. So, I know that a lot of players are leaving, but then that, of course, shifts attention to who will be taking their place. And that's where guys like Witter, like you're mentioning, come into factor. So, that was one of the more intriguing aspects of that presser, that's for sure. Yeah, man, I, I didn't expect him to do that. And when he's talking about guys not fitting, I'm going, okay, Michael Thompson fits that, Troy James to a degree. But Levi Draper? Uh, Mark Jackson? Really? Jordan Parker? Yeah. Okay. That's how you feel, then that's how you feel. But that 2017 class, we all remember that that class being pretty doggone decent. And Draper was ranked, I think, the fourth highest in the composite among that group that included CeeDee Lamb, Kenneth Murray, Marquise Brown, a few other folks, right? I'm going, that's that's kind of harsh. But, you know, if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. As with his comments about everybody wants to rank recruiting classes on signing day, which is the worst possible time to rank recruiting classes, to which I had a couple of things to say. First is, who else ranks them, dog? Do you rank them? I don't think you do. You want you think you're going to be the fourth best recruiting class in the country because you finished fourth in the college football playoff? That ain't how this works, man. But uh, also to the to his point though, and I've made this one with you. Clemson outkicked their ranking like for the last five years. Okay, it's possible, but they're the only people doing it. You know, so like I I I I took offense on behalf of the networks who do a lot of work to get here. And by the way, show me anybody else who's doing it. You know, show me somebody else's rankings. Show me the coaches' recruiting rankings. I would love to see those. Where would you rank uh, Oklahoma, Lincoln, in comp- compared to Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and others? I just thought that that was a bridge too far. But it's also his press conference. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's got to say what he has to say in order to boost confidence level that the fan base has in the incoming class. And to kind of go into what he's saying, I understand his perspective on that. I, I agree with him. There, like he said, there were guys in this class that that staff thought that is a top tier prospect for us. Now, the key word or two there being for us, there are players in this recruiting class that fit, like I mentioned last podcast, what Alex Grinch's system is, what Lincoln Riley's offense looks to be, but they may not be the overall prospect right now that we as networks view them. I mean, like DJ Graham, for me, comes an example. I watched that guy essentially take over a football game on both sides of the ball and in the special teams aspect of things. And I'm sitting here thinking, this guy is a three-star? But, I mean, that also goes to the level of player across the nation when you really think about it. Mm-hmm. So I understand what he's saying. Like, yes, there are some dudes in this class, and we touched on it last podcast people can listen to, that it provides a level of depth 
that is certainly respectable. But at the same time, man, like, come on now. These recruiting sites, don't discount them because I'm going to be honest and I don't want to, like, brag on ourselves too much. But 24-7 rivals, whoever you go to, they're usually pretty accurate on these things. I mean, am I too off base there? I think the numbers have proved it. I don't think so. And when you take a listen to what the rankings council has said about how they try to position this, they are looking to cast three years in advance. Which of this group of kids do we expect to be first round draft picks? And what emphasis does the NFL put on their positional value, right? We might all think that Julian Fleming is the best athlete in the entire country, but he plays wide receiver, which does not have the same positional value as quarterback or even defensive tackle, so he doesn't slot as highly. And we could say the same thing about athletes to a certain degree. I mean, Brew McCoy was the number one ranked athlete in the 2019 class, number nine overall prospect, because he did not slot. You know, there was questions about, would you go to Alabama and play outside linebacker or go to Texas and, and USC to play wide receiver? And he says, I'm a wide receiver, to which we're going you'd have more value as a pass rusher dog. And he's like, no, that's, that's not what I do. In the case of a guy like Graham, for which you said played both ways, right? Caught touchdowns, prevented touchdowns, mm-hmm. had interceptions. It's going, all right, where does this guy fit for Oklahoma? And they're like, well, perhaps he fits at defensive back. And we're going, maybe we like him more at wide receiver. So that part I, I, I absolutely get, right? They're, what they see is what they see. But I think if if you're going to start ranking classes, I'm going to go, okay, how many guys did you lose to the portal? How many guys did you develop? Why is Caleb Kelly still on your roster? You know, did did we overevaluate him or did you overevaluate him? Those sorts of things, you know, and that's mm-hmm. that's where this stuff gets tricky, right? Because everybody's right and everybody's wrong, depending on how you want to be subjective about what for us means, right? And it's like, okay, cool. Well, we all think that you did a pretty good job with your junior college defensive lineman. You're not going to have any truck with us on that. Whereas we might look at a guy like Brian Darby, who earned his offer at a satellite camp, which is still one of the hardest things in the world to do. And shout to him who took it right away before it could go somewhere, right? Like, nope, nope, this is it. I'm here. Thanks. Appreciate that. I'll see you you guys in the summer. You know, I enjoyed Smart kid. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, that's a a smart move by Mr. Darby, man. Take it up while it's out there. 100%. And that was what I was really thinking about. It's like, do you really want to unpack that? Because it's not a it's not a conversation with Riley, right? You ask him a question, he gets to answer the question, you move on to the next question, right? I think there are some things that even he would have looked back at the tape of this and be like, I could have handled that a little bit differently. But then he had his assistants come in, and, and the chemistry among those three was outstanding. You could see why that staff likes each other and how those guys are going to fit in. I wanted to touch on Kobe McKenzie for a little bit who made the announcement that he plans to reclassify and graduate in May of 2021. He was the only commit and still is the only commit for the 2022 class. Uh, If he graduates on time in May 2021, obviously he'll count toward Oklahoma's 2021 recruiting class, which would give them four commits. And I think that gets interesting for a number of reasons. One, he's got the size and the the speed to play Division I football right now at 6'4", 238, inside linebacker, 4'7", speed that's only going to get faster. What I thought was interesting is another thing that Riley brought up about that 25-person cap toward each recruiting class across transfers, across whoever it is you want to bring in, and how he might factor into that in that 2021 class. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but Oklahoma hasn't got 25 commits in like five years. Have that right? No, they got 28 in 2017. 
2018. Yeah, it's been since 20, 2017 they got a huge haul. Right, right. And that was the number eight class in the country. So what did you think about him saying that he was going to reclassify? And then, you know, his dad goes to OUinsider.com and be like, look, we always plan for him to graduate early. We wish he wouldn't have said anything about this, but he's a kid. And so now here we are. <laughs> it's like, I felt for Will, but at the same time, I, 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 under, I appreciated how he handled it. Yeah, I mean, hey, I don't blame the kid, right? He's excited about the fact that he gets a year closer of playing with the big boys and sort of big boy himself, right? I mean, you mentioned he's 6'4", 230-something pounds. He's looking more and more to me like a guy like maybe a Jacob Phillips, and I know you, you fans don't want to hear much about him. <laughs> yeah, I was about him, to but... say, there's, they, there's a burn. <laughs> hey, I'm pushing buttons already, right? man. I'm pushing buttons. Uh, but, I mean, Kobe's going to be that dude right. one day. And anything that gets the kid closer to his dream, I'm here for it. Probably the more concerning aspect is then the Oklahoma side of things, right? I mean, now you don't have that voice, especially defensively, in 2022. Like, you needed someone to be the face of that class, and Kobe was perfect, man. He was in the state of Texas at a position of need, high profile. Like, he was everything you're looking for. And now that that guy's going to 2021, and that class is going to be pretty darn good, as we've all projected, what do you do with 2022 now? Like, are you looking for a new face? Who is that guy? How do you identify him? Because up until this point, they were good. Like, they just felt that 2022 class could take care of itself because of what Kobe brought to the table in so many different aspects. So, to me, I don't blame the guy. Like, the closer you can get to playing college football, do it. Like, take care of your business and get ready to go. But now Oklahoma's got to reset and think, how do we reestablish ourselves in the 2022 class, it's going to be something interesting to follow down the road. Two words. Relique Brown. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. That that would be my that would be my plan. That would be that would be my 2022 right now. It would just be like, hey, Relique, anytime, dog. A- a- anytime you're ready. <laughs> we'll build around you. We hey, promise. He's, he's going to modern day from what Brandon was telling me. That's another interesting aspect of this race. And apparently, we know that that kid was going to be going out of state probably but georgia offered and apparently that's like one of his dream schools so hey maybe really brown's not as easy as we may have perceived no man and knowing how much kirby smart loves running back it, it, it especially since that's where he projects now he came down to oklahoma last june and played some wide receiver and it was really the brock vandergriff relique brown show so you can do whatever you want him to do but georgia getting in there saying that you can play running back here i think that's going to sway the kid because what we haven't seen from Oklahoma in recent years is a top draft pick at the position of running back, right? And I think that mm. also factors in, whereas with Georgia, Sonny Michelle won a Super Bowl. You know, Nick Chubb was this close to winning the rushing championship. DeAndre Swift is slotted to be the, the best running back to come out of this 2020 class, which is deep with guys like J.K. Dobbins and others. I just... That would be my 2022 plan right now is to just just throw all my chips in to try to get that kid into the boat and then build around him because with Alex Orgy and um, Quinn Ewers taking their time, right, you might not be able to get a quarterback in there as quickly as you might need, but Relique Brown is a big enough star for you to build around. Um, First, I want to ask you, did you want to respond to that? And if not, is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I would just say on Relique, not to mention you talking about Tony Michelle, Nick Chubb, all these guys. We should also mention the fact that it's Georgia that ran over Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl with those running backs. 
and eventually going to the college football playoff or national championship. But no, I think that that's going to be interesting. Relique is obviously probably the priority in 2022. And to me, he's going to have the opportunity to go play running back at Georgia. I also feel like if he comes to Oklahoma, he's got a chance to be like a mini Percy Harvin. That's my evaluation of him. Just his ability to catch the ball, run the ball, impact the game in so many different ways. I see a little bit of Harvin in him, and I'd love to see him in Lincoln Riley system. I think that's the enticing aspect for Oklahoma right now. You got to convince that guy, hey, you play more than one or two positions. You got a chance to be a first round draft pick, anyways, with more value and maybe a little less wear and tear. But no, that's probably who they're going after in 2022. You, you go after all the way down the line. There's some good names. I still think that, like, in Armani Winfield, Louisville, the area where I'm from, he's probably another option to go all in on it wide out. But no, 2022 is going to be very interesting. I love Verlique Brown, man. He is just a baller. And if he ends up at Oklahoma, there's no telling what he could become. This is the kind of person that DeMarco Murray would be like, do you want to do what I did? Because, you know, they let me play slot (laughs) and receiver. And and, uh, so, I mean, slot and running back, and I return kicks. Like, we can do that. We can can make that happen. And I hear – I just can hear somebody in my head yelling back, tell Colin Rodney Anderson rush for 201 yards on Georgia. (laughs) Uh, anyway, anyway, who got the dub? Right that, there, you go. That it, it, see you, you and me, right? Well, that's where we're at. That's Colin Kennedy. Yep. Follow him on Twitter at c Kennedy twenty four seven. C Kennedy twenty four seven does outstanding work for us at OUinsider.com. He, myself, Joey, keep the carousel turning on the front page, and then Brandon Drums getting in there with VIP notes. We have specials running where you can get in for a very low price. 60% off your annual subscription. Just outstanding things that are going on at 247. We've added tremendously uh, big stars at the national level. Bud Elliott coming on board. My buddy and uh, a former YouTuber and Josh Pate coming on board to run the video side of things. And apparently our CEO, Shannon Terry, has more tricks that he is ready to pull from out of his sleeves. It's a good time to be riding the 247 CBS Sports Train. Colin? Thank you so much for doing this, man, and working with me. Always fun, man. Until next time. Right on, man.